0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 88.
1: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate
0: investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host. Of the Bigger Pockets podcast here with my co-host Brandon Turner. What's up Brandon? Not much Josh. Uh how are you this wonderful week? I'm actually sick right now.
1: Oh. Yeah. You're, not,
0: you're always sick. What do you doing? I'm not always. I'm still, you know, <laughs> Scott Scott here in the office was coughing all over my desk and got me sick. So, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I think it's just the life of a
1: parents. Parents are always sick cuz their kids are gross. <laughs> yeah this
0: is true too although my kids are not good yeah,
1: my kids are always sick though they're like at school touching doorknobs and stuff uh, that everyone picking noses yeah yeah my cats like are so much cleaner than kids it's amazing Oh, i doubt it i doubt it yeah
0: anyway yeah my but, kids don't 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 crawl into the, the the little cat kitty litter and then stand on my kitchen counter where i cook dinner that doesn't happen that's just nasty
1: yeah 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 well cool but we anyway got, we got a great great show today um definitely an awesome interview with a couple, an actual married couple who's investing together. So that'll be An actual married couple. An actual, actual, I know they're actually married and they're investing in real estate.
0: Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a good show. And we're going to get to that right after today's quick
1: tip. tip. All right, so today's quick tip is uh, is maybe something obvious, but I want to just emphasize that today, is if you have a question about your real estate business or something, don't try to like, I don't know, sit there and try to figure it out on your own. Like, I've been doing that forever. I've been wondering, like, how do I get ACH transactions on my website? I've been wondering that for months and months and months. All of a sudden, yesterday it occurred to me, Brandon, just go put a BiggerPockets forum question. How do I get ACH transactions on my website? And so I put it up there and I got eight replies yesterday alone and uh, some really good stuff in there. So anyway, if you have a question that you're right now in your business, you're wondering about, go today and go make a forum question. Ask it in the forums and see what people say. That's my quick tip.
0: That's great. BiggerPockets.com slash forums. And there is no such thing as a stupid question. I mean, you know, we all look at Brandon here. And, <laughs> you know, well, let me use a different example. Thanks. Now, anyway, that was a great question. That a d- good No, question. I think it's a good question. And, and you know, it just shows like, you listen, I mean, Brandon's been around. He's talked to a million people. He knows, he knows, you know, more than probably 99% of people out there. Uh, and wow, yet nice. he doesn't know anything. I mean, uh, we, uh, none nothing. of us know anything. We're all learning. We're all trying to figure this out. So there are no stupid questions. Go ahead and ask it, and I guarantee you, uh, there are other people who may be thinking the same thing and not be a- not asking the same question. So, yep. that's today's quick
1: tip. Yep. Very oh, great. and and it's free. You don't have to have like a pro membership to make a forum post. So, people just go ask a question. It's free. Do it today. Yeah.
0: Biggerpockets.com/slash/forums. So, yep. But speaking of pro, our
1: uh Pro benefit of the week this week I want to talk about real quick is something that we have uh, talked about before, but I just wanted to emphasize BiggerPockets perks. It's BiggerPockets.com perks. You can get discounts, promotions, stuff like that. You can save a ton of money. So if you are a pro member and not taking advantage of that, head over today, see what you can get discounts on and you'll probably save a ton of money. So. And
0: we're adding new companies. And if you're a company that has a perk, yep. get in touch with us. BiggerPockets.com contact.
1: There you go. All right. Cool. So let's, uh, let's get to our interview today. You want to introduce our guests?
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So today uh, we've got Matt and Liz Faircloth. Uh, These guys have been hooked on real estate since Reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad back in 2002. They have been building their business up little by little uh, to eventually come up to over 100 units now. They've done over 15, around 15 fix and flips. They live south of Trenton, New Jersey. They've got commercial properties. They've done development. They've done pretty much everything. They've, yeah. they've been really busy and, and they've got a lot of great information to share with us today. Their mission statement is to revitalize urban America and to transform lives through real estate.
2: Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. Transform your lead generation and deal making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com/bp.
0: All right, Matt and Liz, Liz and Matt, welcome to the show guys. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank
4: you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, Well, thank you for
1: being here. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, uh, including, you know, rental properties, we're going to talk about flips, we're going to talk probably about uh, raising money and all this stuff, but before we do, let's just start very very early on. How did you get into this game of real estate?
4: <laughs> that's a, that's it's a great it's an interesting story. Um, we uh, got started when we were dating. Um, back in 2002, um, uh, Liz and I sat down with a few friends and played uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Cash Flow board game. Nice. Yep. Um, and at the time, I was uh, working uh, as a traveling salesman, and um, just our minds were blown by this game, and um, it just really showed us the possibility of financial independence, passive income, and being able to lead a life that we really wanted to. Through real estate as a vehicle, and first uh, first purchase was a single family home that I lived in, which you guys would call the house hack, right? Yep. I uh, I, nice. I bought a uh, right, bought mm-hmm. a three bedroom, uh, one bath. Had a couple of my buddies move in with me, and um, I was making sixty bucks a month, and I was living there for free. Nice. Um, and it just completely just. I just really set it into stone what the possibility of uh of real estate was for us. And uh we started getting educated. We started we took probably a, about a year and took seminars, read books, networked before we made our next uh our next investment purchase. And yeah. then from there we bought a um bought a duplex. I was living in Philadelphia at the time. And so we bought a duplex in Philly. And um you know, that was our first uh our first rental deal. We bought that one while we were dating as well. You know, we started buying properties before we were even married, which was wow. which was, you know, a bit of a risk, but it was cool.
0: And so, you guys bought the properties together, both names on it, or that's or, right. Okay.
5: Yeah. yeah. It was a big step for us because we actually purchased it, you know, we had uh our first private money loan yeah. from my father. But you know, it was a big risk. We were yeah. engaged, but we weren't married. So we nice. both had to, you know, yeah, take the step and yeah. make it happen, you know. Yeah. But
0: this feels like when Harry met Sally.
4: <laughs> it does kind of get, isn't it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, well, I mean, let's... I, I think the first thing I want to really get into is working together in real estate. And, and we've had a couple couples, you know, over, over the 80, what is this, ADHOs? And it's always interesting to get that perspective. I think because, you know, it really is so important to be in line with your spouse. You know, if you're not on the same page, things could go horribly wrong just in terms of you're going to be fighting at each other's throats. So Mm -hmm. let's, let's kind of start there. What does it take? What does it take to work together? Mm -hmm. And frankly, what does it take to work together? I mean, you guys jumped in without even being together, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you were, you you were together, but you weren't together. So yeah. um, can you guys talk about that?
5: Absolutely. I think that's uh, it's a great question. It's something that we've talked a lot about, you know, because yeah. we've shared that with other couples. But mm-hmm. we sat down in 2004 when we bought our first duplex and we developed a plan together. We developed our, you know, I call it our why statement, you know, digging really deep to get really clear on why are we even investing in real estate? I mean, we both like the vehicle of real estate, but getting really... Um, Connected with what yeah. we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, when we first started dating, we had such similar values about entrepreneurship, eventually wanting to, you know, work for ourselves and build a business. And we both had the same, you know, spiritual um, values as well, so we believed in you know having faith and just persistence and what have you. so we developed a business plan together back in the day. yeah <laughs> we actually just found it because it was literally ten years ago wow. and what was really neat was we we're looking at this plan that we wrote when we knew nothing and I have to tell you, I say eight out of the ten things we wrote yeah. down we not that far off years so it was really really neat you know you know about goal setting, but then when you, you see it in black and white. so I would say that's one thing number two, I've had various roles over the years. Matt has always kind of been, you know, our kind of president leader, you know, of the business, but I've always been either a, you know, strategic kind of advisor. I've been actually in full time working with him part time. I mean, I've literally worn every hat and I can say that the key is to really, um, you know, just know your roles and keep things separate and just communication, open, honest, really clear communication.
0: Yeah, Interesting. Interesting. You know, I, uh, I used to work with my wife. She, she ran a school. She was my boss. <laughs> uh, it, it, this was before we got married. Yeah, I I thought it was fine. I didn't have a problem. But people would always come up to me and say, Josh, how the hell do you do it? I mean, you're with her all day at work. You go home, you're with her. You know, aren't you guys sick and tired of each other? I said, eh, you know, it's it works great. We're not tired of each other at all. But I do think it, it can be challenging for some folks to, to do that. So how do you guys separate the work And play. How do you separate business from personal? Is there a separation for you, or or is it all just kind of combined?
4: Well, as Liz said, we did it once in two thousand and nine. Liz actually quit her job and worked with me full time, and um, and that did not work out too well because, yeah, yeah, because we were kind of on top of each other. We were, uh, you know, our, our roles were very intertwined. We didn't have clarity of roles. And so we ended up kind of running interference on each other a lot. And it caused a lot of strife, to be honest, in our marriage and our business and everything. And so she went back to work in 2010. And now I think that the the difference is we work very well together. And the difference is that we have a bit of separation in that Liz has certain projects she's working on. I have certain projects I'm working on. And there's certain things that we interact on. And I also respect – we really understand and respect each other's skills. So Liz really understands people. I mean she just knows – how to communicate with people and what really drives people, and so when I'm having a personnel issue, she's the first person I go to. Gotcha. Um, and she also has other skill sets that I really look for when I have when I need a certain thing in the business, and it's vice versa as well. So I think we have a bit of that, you, you know, separation. So yeah. we can kind of do our own things. So we're not like breathing down each other's neck, and because uh, that didn't work the last time we did it. So. Yeah,
0: you don't seem to have very good people skills, Matt.
4: No, <laughs> well, awful. <laughs> I, just, I, I spit on people is what I do to communicate. You know, so so, <laughs> so
0: I mean, you guys eventually found those roles, right? I mean, this what yes. this wasn't something. Obviously, this wasn't something that you guys just started with, right? I mean, it took time to figure that out. Do you have any recommendations for people? You know, if if we've got you know spouses listening together or or individually, do you have recommendations on how folks can work together? You know, what what has helped you? Beyond the, I guess, figuring out what your skill sets are and, and kind of making sure that you're not kind of overlapping or second guessing one another?
5: Yeah, I would say two things do things that you're good at and that you enjoy. Yeah. When I started working with him in 2008, mm-hmm. I took on the bookkeeping of our business.
2: Mm. And
5: again, that's something that I'm not good at and I didn't enjoy. Right. right? So, and I just, I just screwed things up all the time. Mm, and I, forgot to, I, mean, I forgot to, I forgot to pay mortgages. A, a I mean, it was, a hor- it was horrible. It was that's that's it? Good. Yeah. <laughs> not that's good. Not good. But I just, I didn't have a handle on it. I'm not a numbers person. And so anyway, I just, I think being good at something and enjoying it and uh, bringing your real passion to a task is key.
1: Now now that we're on that subject, I want, I want to kind of drift towards what you just said about accounting and i know this was i probably was gonna bring this up way later but you mentioned it now you mm-hmm. first you did the accounting like the bookkeeping uh then you found you didn't like it because this is the exact same situation that uh, my wife and i are in right now she does the accounting for us the bookkeeping she doesn't like it uh, she's mm-hmm. she's good at it but she just hates doing it i, I feel like how do you guys do it now do you, matt do you take over that part of things or uh do you outsource that how does that look
4: now, for me, I put my focus on building the business, so I, I focus all my time on raising money and finding new properties to get into. But I have a full time office manager that works for us now that okay. um, that does a lot of that. But before I even got, I'm not just saying that you know if you don't like financials, hire a full time employee to do it for you. But what um, what we started with was uh, just hiring a bookkeeper. And we were able to find one at a very reasonable rate. And that's that was her skill set. She was great at it. In the beginning, we were paying her like 10 hours a week for managing something like 35 properties is what we had at the time. And um, she did a great job with it. And we've since expanded her role to where now she's now my office manager. But that's we started with a bookkeeper. And these there's even bookkeeping companies that will, uh, you know, run books for you and that kind of stuff. So,
1: what exactly do they do? I mean, you. We'll talk about your business model a little bit, but your business sure. model and mine are pretty similar. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, I use these podcasts selfishly. So I'm going to ask yeah, you. Yeah, I was
0: going to say. This yeah, is this, is this is how I. This <laughs> is how We're I roll. In once yeah. and totally. So, so okay, what, you know, must be nice. Yeah. So I
1: want to know. I, I want to <laughs> know. How, what does the bookkeeper do? And, and what I mean by that is so obviously, I mean, you know how it is like when you're doing a rehab on a property or whatever, you get a ton of receipts going in and out. You get a ton of things you get like at the end of the month, we sit down and I don't know if I do this the same way as everyone else does. But at the end of the month, we sit down and we look back on our bank statement and we try to reconcile what every single item was and we're not always sure. And we're like, why did we spend thirty seven fifty at Home Depot that day? I can't find a receipt for it. And then it's just like, yeah. is that what a bookkeeper does? Like, I mean, do they call Home Depot and try to figure out what was going on?
4: It sounds like you're doing hindsight bookkeeping, you know, like you're looking back on the month on the 30th and saying oh, like, okay, this is what happened. Yeah, uh, we do. You got, so I would recommend that a bookkeeper can get you into a position where you're doing proactive bookkeeping, where you're looking ahead and when a check needs to be cut, it gets entered into the system immediately. And the system is whatever software you're using. We use rent manager. You can use QuickBooks. You kind of have to trick QuickBooks into working around real estate, but there's other softwares out there too. So as soon as I have an expense, it gets entered into my accounting software and it gets coded. So it's okay. What is this? Is this framing? Is this um, handyman work? Is this plumbing? You know, whatever is it? It's a real estate commission. Whatever it may be, it gets entered in the system, and then I don't have to look at it again until I run a and I run a report at the end of the month to see how we were financially to run my profitability statement. That's the only time I look back. Yeah. Like most of the time, you know, the expenses as soon as these expenses hit, they're in the system.
2: And that so sense. that's
4: what a that's what a bookkeeper can do for you, and they're coding things, and so you can run financial reports and and that kind of stuff. These uh, softwares will actually let you print checks. So as soon as you put the expense in, you hit the print button, and it prints the check out. So you don't have to even have to handwrite the check anymore. You just sign it. That's cool. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. I need to do that. I mean, like, I I've talked about it for years. Like, and I tried for a while. You know, I, I got Buildium and then I got Folio and I, and I yep. never really took the time to learn either. I don't know, like, we like would start one and then never really jump in the full way. I tried QuickBooks for a while and yeah, in the yeah. end, like, I've still like, I mean, it's kind of like embarrassing to say, but I still use Excel for all of my bookkeeping and yeah. it drives us absolutely insane every month. Like, it's <laughs> I mean, just crazy.
0: Here's here's an easy way to deal with that, Brandon. If you don't want to hire a bookkeeper what you can do. And and I used to do this till I pawned it off to my wife who is not not pleased about this either. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I used, I mean, for years and years, I literally, you know, if I would spend money, I'd come home, I'd have a receipt in my hand I'd go into Quick Quick enter Quickbooks and I'd just enter it in every night. I would literally spend 5 minutes a night to just enter enter any receipts I had into Quickbooks. That's it. I mean, that's all it takes is mm-hmm. the discipline. Your problem is going to be that you have all this backlog of stuff, right? Yep. So what you do is you you enter all the backlog in at the end of the month. Okay, get caught up say the end of this month and then on the 2nd at the, well, the end of the day, on the first, if you've gone out, you've bought anything, you just put those receipts in. And the second you put the receipts in, again, you just make it part of your life. You train yourself, hey, every day, every time we spend money, we immediately put it in, mm-hmm. and then it's handled. Yeah.
1: yeah. I bet you there's and apps we, that Or we'll just that hire too. a bookkeeper. Or hire a bookkeeper. And I think there's a company called Bench.co, I think they're called. I've been looking mm. into a lot. I don't know if anybody listening to the podcast has used them. I'd love to get a recommendation or whether you, what you thought of them. But yeah, mm. they're, they're like – it's like Uber for accounting and so you can like hire one online like it's all through the cloud I don't know so that that's an option as well I'm going to look into but yeah. Um, and it's a reason it's like 150 bucks a month or something like that. It's cheap, which makes me nervous about it. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I, I definitely think accounting is an issue that a lot of landlords and a lot of uh, house flippers and a lot of just real estate investors in general really struggle with. Uh, because the way I, I mean, the mistake I made is I didn't set it up right at the beginning and then I never really focused on it. So I'm still running it the same way that I ran it, you know, seven, eight years ago. I mean, it's a hassle at the end of every month. I mean, it yeah. takes us a long time. My wife spends, hours and hours and hours every week on, you know, that. So anyway.
5: If I can just say something quick about that too, since we do property management and we also do flipping, of property, we use two different software. So, yeah. so rent manager is great, but you've almost has to trick it to enter in the data around rehabbing for flips. For flips. Yeah. So QuickBooks, I know. Has yeah, we been- use QuickBooks
4: for flips and then rent manager for um, for rentals. And the so, last thing I would say is that uh, you could probably you know limp by on what you're doing with using Excel and that kind of thing for uh, for doing expenses. But the next time you buy a new property properly entering that into a good accounting software is something a book, a bookkeeper could do for you. Cause you want to put in something for land value, something that you can depreciate and some, you know, something for fixtures and that kind of stuff, which an accountant could tell you more about and that kind of thing. But bookkeepers can do all that. I mean, it, it was very complicated to do that if you don't have the, the skill set, yeah. you know? Um, so
1: that's what, one of the things that's stopping me now is, is that I look back and I, I have to, You know, I have all these properties now that I have to go and back enter in years of information to try to, or at least the year of information to try to like, so like, it's almost like not worth it. Every time I just get overwhelmed, I'm like, oh, this is so much to do. And and I just, I stop and I'm like, I'll do it next year.
0: I'm actually glad that you bring this up, Brandon, because you, you know, you are probably 95% of our listeners, maybe even more. I mean, I'm guessing most people who are listening to the show are probably not as organized as as they should be. If you're one of them, honk your horn <laughs> uh, while you're listening. To but, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I think it's really important to hear that, listen, this guy, Brandon, oh, my God, it's Brandon Turner. And he's telling me he's totally disorganized. Oh, great. It makes me yeah, feel good. So I'm much. sure it probably right. does. So, yeah, maybe. Um, you know take take this time guys if you're listening and you are like brandon and you're disorganized get it together i mean really this is a good opportunity this is kind of you know if you do one thing if the show does anything for you you know get out there get organized get you know get quick and get quickbooks get something and start to, to put it together because, you know, you do not want to be Brandon in this case, sure. <laughs> you know, in other cases you might, but in this case you don't. No, uh, yeah. you don't want what
4: to I that, What I would add on to that, the final thing to add on that, Josh, is that there, there's only so much time in a day. Yep. And if you free up yourself from doing those financials and uh, running the books and that kind of thing, there's so many other profitable adventures you can get yourself into to grow your business. And that's when our business really took off was when I started delegating and giving Activity I was doing, and that Liz was doing, including the books and that kind of thing, that I was able to get into other things. I um, could say the
0: same thing about mine. Yeah, yeah, I could say the exact same. I mean, you know, I hired that guy, Brandon. Yeah. You know, and, and he started to take some stuff and, <laughs> you know, now we've got, I don't know how many full-time people we, you know, things are great. Sure. And I, yeah. I can actually focus on what we have to focus on, which is, which is awesome. So yeah, that's, that's really, really, really good advice. Well, cool. I mean, lots, lots of great stuff on, you know, working together and and delegation. Well, you guys started this thing with a house hack followed by, by a duplex, yeah. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So w- so what came next and what kind of deals do you guys do generally?
4: So what came next was our first 1031 exchange, which I don't know if you want to put a pin in that and explain what that is or not. Yeah, uh, why don't
0: yeah, why don't yeah, you? Just too. in case.
4: Sure. We uh we sold the duplex in Philly and um instead of paying uh capital gains tax, which we would have to pay if we just took the money and put it in our pocket, we rolled it into another property so it's a tax deferred exchange where you get to Not to pay income tax, but you got to take all the proceeds you make on the property and roll it into another investment. There's a lot of rules around it, around time and around money. But bottom line is the the new investment needs to be at or above what you sold the the prior property for. And you got to roll all your proceeds into it. And you got to do it within, I think, it's 180 days. We sold the property in Philly, the duplex, and we rolled it into a pair of four families in, um, in Ewing, New Jersey, which is not too far from where we live. So we've since acquired more of those four families in that, in that uh, block that they're on, and that we've expanded our business to the point where we were probably about 80% residential for our portfolio. We also own, um, we bought an office building, and we converted it into a small business center. So we've got 18 different companies that occupy the building I'm actually we're actually sitting here talking to you from it now so we occupy it ourselves but we have all these different companies that occupy the space and it's this really cool uh, networking and um, and uh, social environment as well um, that uh, it's full of mostly young entrepreneurs that are all doing everything from you know law firms to uh, not-for-profits to other real estate investment companies that occupy the space so interesting that's a touch on our portfolio
0: well, yes. it's, so it's like a co-working space yeah, it's yes mean, is it is yes. But okay, yeah, cool. it's
4: not it's not an open platform though. So you're not sitting next to the guy that's running the the, the law firm. You, you have the we all have private offices and everything. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. But if I
5: can mention about that, you know, in 2008, I think we purchased it. Yeah. And it's a 10,000 square foot building, and an organization at the time had the space. So they they ended moving out, and we ran the you know profit and loss, and Matt showed mm-hmm. me that with this you know one tenant in this building, we'd be you know cash flowing amazingly. Oh, yeah. We were both excited. You know, this would be the biggest purchase. Awesome, awesome. Well we ended up just sitting on the property for a while. And and, and lo and behold, in 2008 and even now, not many people, not many companies are looking for a 10,000 square foot building in Trenton, New Jersey. Yeah, that was
4: a big mistake. It was probably one of our biggest mistakes when we first got started is we looked at the current snapshot of the market and assumed that that would be the market for several years out. And so to give numbers, we bought the building for $50 a square foot, which is a really cheap number for New Jersey. And another good rental number is around twelve dollars a square foot. And if you run the numbers and uh, for rent, uh, it would be twelve bucks a foot per year. And that works out to be a really great cash flow for the property. And I showed it to Liz and she's like, that sounds great. Let's do it. And then 2009 came along, you know, (laughs) and uh, with what the market did. And so we kind of got tired of sitting on this vacant building that nobody wanted to come and rent from us at $12 a foot. And we had to drop back and punt and change our plan. And and really broke up the building
5: into small offices out of a need. But, you know, it was just one of those examples of many times that you, you know, you think one thing around, this is the right investment, this is the right path. And you kind of Learn in a, new, yeah. in a new way, and, you, and gotta, you have to figure it out and figure quickly. It out. Yeah, so, that's
0: awesome. That's awesome. You, you know, I think it's so important to talk about that—the ability to be flexible, yeah, the mm-hmm. ability to adapt your plan. And you know, I, I think that's hard for new investors. It really is. You know, coming in, you say, "Oh, listen, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do." And if it goes wrong, oh my God, the world is going to blow up, <laughs> right? So, you know, exactly. that's why. We really try to talk a lot about this, which is, yeah, and, and I think we have the whole last chapter of our Ultimate Beginner's Guide. By the way, biggerpockets.com slash UBG is the Ultimate Beginner's Guide. It's a free guide, teaches you all the basics of real estate investing. I, I believe the last chapter we kind of talk about you know, having a need and having the ability to adapt and, and having multiple game plans. So if game plan A goes wrong, have a B, have a C, have a D, uh, just so you can pivot quickly.
1: Yeah. I like that phrase pivot. I think that's what uh, Eric Reese from the lean yeah. startup uses that all the time. Like the word pivot and at times you have to change mm-hmm. your investment strategy a little bit. Uh, just like a basketball player would pivot and move a little bit yeah. different direction. So I like that. That's cool. Um, So tell me about like, so when you said you divided this 10,000, I mean, I have a couple of questions. I want to jump back to the 1031 thing too, but while we're on this, you divided them up into, into office building. Did you actually like, you know, build walls in there and put into of different offices? Is that what you guys did to constructed it? Or was it already like that?
4: No, well some of so yes and no. Some spaces were cut up and uh, there's this big huge space in the back of the building that we turned into a seminar room. We put in a projector and a bunch of chairs and that kind of thing so that you know people could come and do small uh you know presentations and that kind of stuff. But some of the rooms were already delineated and we just put uh separate locks on them okay. so that the tenants can you know you, you get into the building with a key fob. There's a bunch of common area in the building and you can walk into your privately locked office space. And we put in some walls to add some you know, to add a few more offices and everything like that here and there,
1: yeah. Are you doing better than you would have, like, than your projections were with, with the one tenant? Like, do you feel like as a multi-use place, are you getting better returns than you were had hoped, or are you getting a little bit less?
4: Well, it's, it's interesting, because you get... Um you know, it's a double-edged sword in cutting up a space like this because we didn't put private utility, you know, separate utilities in. It's kind of it'd be hard to put like eighteen different of everything in each space. So, yeah. you know, we uh, we bill out uh, CAM C A M, which is um, like a percentage of the utility bill and a percentage of the maintenance to tenants. So we try and pass as much of that along to our tenants as we can, and we get better rent per square foot of the offices. So I might get, you know, $25 a foot versus 12, but it's of like this little tiny office space that might be, you know, like a 10 by 10 office that's renting for 250 a month, you know, so by the actual per square foot for what we have, we do better, but you have to factor in all this common area, all these hallways and all these things like that. So have we leased the whole building that would have all been rentable space. It's yeah. not rentable space when you're just renting small offices. So you kind of take a haircut there. We ended up averaging out about the same but yeah, you know, so that, that's that's the short answer to your question.
0: I work in a a space like that. Um, our office here is is in a similar type of space. And what they've done, which is, I think, yeah. uh, really really bright, is they've taken those empty common areas, the hallways, and they basically made those co- quote floating desks or hmm. or just kind of individualized desks. Um, so you can literally buy a desk in the hallway, um, and right. it doesn't come with it. It literally is a desk. You bring your, you know. I think they'll upsell you. I'm not sure exactly how it is, but they'll upsell you like a locking file cabinet so you can put your stuff in there. Hmm. But otherwise, the desk is bare. You know, people, they'll leave monitors and stuff. Nobody's stealing their monitors. Um, but it, it's another way to kind of get rent back on that space. And it's great. I mean, this place is completely full and it's, I mean, I look at it, I'm like, man, I'm I'm sitting here paying rent on it. I want to own this space. This. <laughs> what does that
4: cost? What are they getting for one of those uh, floating desks in the hallway?
0: I think it depends uh, somewhere, I believe, between 250 and 450 a month. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. So, well, here's the nice thing. People don't, People who are, you know, upstarts, upstart companies, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with rent, utilities, yeah. right. all the headaches. I want to pay one bill. I want to make my life really, really easy. You know, I so so that's what these types of things. Regis is is the big national oh, yeah. chain mm-hmm. that does this stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, it makes it really easy. Listen, you guys can come in, you pay X amount of dollars, you pay one bill, and you're done. Great, great. And these things are popping up like crazy in Denver. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're really, really popular here in town. So um, I love it. I love that you guys are doing it, and I think it's it's a yeah. it's a phenomenal phenomenal model.
1: Yeah. Would, would you guys recommend other people get into like especially newbies? But but anyway, would you recommend getting into commercial, or do you think that was a a big step? Yeah.
4: Yeah, I, I wouldn't go to say all your newbies to go run out there and buy in ten thousand square foot office buildings <laughs> per se, but but you know I I'd be okay with them taking the calculated uh, risk because what it's allowed us to do is carry a presence for our business. So when people come to visit us, it's, you know, come to my office. So you know, for the people that are working from home and that kind of thing. Uh, we were able to carry a bigger presence of a much larger company by people coming to see and sit in our conference room and yeah. being able to do closings here in the building and everything like that has been really, really cool and it's been a great opportunity to network as well. The only thing I would say to a newbie is just be sure you run your numbers and that you know the most or all of your expenses are covered by your tenants and that you're that you as a startup aren't putting yourself into a position where you're having to pay a bunch to be in this swanky office space because we are able to occupy it. it doesn't cost us anything yeah. um, because of our tenants so. It's like
1: house hacking, but for commercial. It's cool. Right. So, but anyway, I, I want to go back to touch on uh, real quick before we move on. I want to touch on the 1031 you mentioned. And, and again, I'm a selfish person. I'm going to ask a question. I was actually talking with one of my business partners the other day about one of our properties. And we have probably thirty dollars to $40,000 of equity in this property um, after mm-hmm. paying the real estate fees if we were to sell it. Like we'd clear about thirty dollars to $40,000 in cash. They asked me, well, they said, well, I've heard something about this uh, exchange you can do, a uh, 1031. Should we do that? if we sell? And I said, I don't even know, like how much does that cost? I mean, I have no, I mean, I know what they are, but I don't, how much do they cost to do? Is it worth it on a $30,000 profit?
4: Well, let me ask you a couple questions. Okay. Uh, what, what would you sell the house for the property
0: for?
1: It's probably, we, we have about 190 uh, into it and it's about $140,000, uh, mm-hmm. is what we could sell it for. Summer remember he's not in jersey guys yeah he's we're in a, i'm in cheap right.
4: area right yeah it's yes. probably like an eight in eight unit or something like that for <laughs> yeah, it's right. a yeah, tri, yeah, it's right. a triplex <laughs> i'm so jealous <laughs> no, um, yeah right. so uh so uh okay at 140 if you're making you're making 40 on the sale or 30 on the sale
1: in between 30 and 40 i think we have about 90 into it and so you okay. know if we got 140 there's 50 and then paying yeah, yeah, all yeah. the closing costs and stuff it's 30 to 40.
4: You, just, to you and your partner would have to be prepared to bring a few bucks to closing. That's all you know, to, uh, to buy to buy the new thing. Because even if your new purchase was around 140, um, you would, uh, you'd have to obtain a mortgage and you'd, you know, probably these days I'm seeing 70% LTV, maybe 75 and that kind of thing. And then you got to factor in closing costs and maybe some work you want to do and that kind of thing. So I would just prepare them for having to bring a few dollars to closing. When I did our, our last 1031 exchange, the fee to this you know, custodian. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what they're called that um, that holds the the proceeds for you. Was somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen hundred bucks. Okay, that's not bad. You know? I was thinking it's if it was going to be you know insane. eight grand for no. that,
1: and I could pay eight no. grand in taxes, it would be the same. But it, that doesn't sound too terrible.
4: No, it's not too it's not too crazy and you can parlay it into into larger things. I just it sounds like for that deal you might just have to be prepared to bring, you know, yeah. some dollars to closing depending on how big a property you want to get into.
1: Makes so. sense. And we do have a we I mean, we have a, a you know we put a down payment on that per, like a 30% down payment. So we actually have a quite a bit like that we could probably do it. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell everyone in a few weeks if I decide to actually do it. So, all right, let's, let's move on. I want to, so you guys did the, the house hack, the duplex, you bought the commercial. Uh, how many total units do you have now at rental properties?
4: Now we have, we have about 115 now. Wow. But that's but that's there's a whole big gap that i that we haven't gotten to. In yeah, end. let's let's get there. What they actually
0: bought four, then they bought the hundred units. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right, the the end. Right, yeah. that's how we did it. Yeah, right.
4: Um, now we uh, we actually kind of plateaued. We had bought the uh, you know the, the the two four families. We had you know bought the office building. We had bought a few single families here and there and everything like that. And we, I think we we uh, had leveled out at around thirty units. And um, we started getting into raising private equity, of you know, for which I'll explain that whole thing. But people started coming in and, and investing. Through new LLCs, we would set up in, in properties. And so we started out really, really small. We were buying, you know, our first deal with the, uh, the, with private equity was two single family homes. The guy gave us $50,000. We formed a new LLC. He was a, you know, a, a member of the LLC, willing to personally guarantee mortgages and that kind of thing, but not wanting to do any of the things that needed to be done. I did all that. I didn't front any actual cash. He did all, he fronted the money and I did all the things that needed to get done. It was a great partnership. And then he started getting some of his friends in, and we built it and built it and built it till where the the last fund that we raised was uh, about a half a million bucks. And we're in the middle of raising a million dollar fund right now. Um, And so, through doing that, we've been able to buy bigger and bigger properties that I wouldn't have had access to with my own cash. Because honestly, Liz and I were tapped at about 2010 and we wanted to grow the portfolio and the only way to do that was by bringing in more capital
1: and know? and i think that's where a lot of investors are at i mean that's where i'm at today right like you get to this point where you kind of plateau and you can't you can't get larger cuz you'll never come up with the $500,000 down payment i need to go buy a big apartment complex or whatever and right. that's when you got to kind of start thinking uh i guess more uh, creatively in that
0: so maybe you well, can touch talk- really oh, go really ahead. quick on that i mean like for those of you guys listening, the big guys, like the biggest of the biggest of the biggest, this is, this is how they do this. I mean, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. a lot of these guys are not just throwing, you know, throwing down, you know, <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars of their own cash to build these monster complexes and big skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how, you know, larger portfolios are built by the big dog. So, yep. you know, just putting that out there.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com. pinefinancialgroup.com. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get fifty leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com/bp. That's www.propstream.com/bp. Take a second and imagine this: immediate cash flow, above-average rent, built-in equity and a foolproof exit plan. No, it's not 2012 again. This is just what it's like to invest with Integra Development Group. They've simplified the real estate investing process so everyone can invest. With their new construction single-family rent-to-own homes, you'll get aggressively priced brand-new properties that have tenants in place now in one of the fastest-growing states in America, Florida. Here's how IDG's rent-to-own strategy works. You get exclusive access to inventory with aggressive pricing thanks to IDG's builder-partner relationships. Then, invest and collect immediate cash flow with tenants already in place at or very close to closing. With the demand for new builds, your tenants pay above-market rent, so you rake in more cash flow. And you'll get built-in equity and appreciation with an already agreed-to purchase price at year three, helping the tenants become homeowners while you build wealth. That's investing simplified. So secure your next investment property today with Integra Development Group at IntegraDG.com. That's IntegraDG.com to start investing today. Maybe you can explain the difference real quick between,
1: you know, when you're raising money like this, when I want to go out and get money. You mentioned private equity and we mentioned, you know, private lending. Is that the same thing? What's the difference? And uh, when would you
4: use each? Sure. private lending is a uh, short-term loan somewhere between six to nine months we do that on our fix and flips we typically will have between one and two fix and flips going at any given time or we do a you know a buy reno, and rent and on a uh, on a property so that'll typically be a small multi or something like that we'll buy it fix it up and then um, lease it out and then refinance it uh, to refinance the the um, Private loan out, but for for private loans, I try and be in and out within a short period of time because of the interest rates you have to pay, um, because the money just starts to accrue over time for what you owe these folks and everything like that. And uh, quite frankly, most of the private loans that I deal with are self directed IRAs, so I want to give them their money back because then they're they're just going to give it right back to me, and they can't keep the interest if that makes sense. So if I loan somebody a hundred thousand, somebody loans me a hundred thousand dollars. Um, I pay them back 105 in, in, you know, five months or something like that. Um, they have to, their 105 is now there in their account because it's an IRA, they can't touch it. So they're going to loan me back 105. And so I can take the 105, turn it into 100 you know 112 for them. Then they have 112 to loan me. So my lending pool raises as I do deals with these guys. So that's why I really love doing private loans with self-directed IRAs. Yeah. Um, That's that. And the equity piece is a way longer investment. It's typically five years is what I tell people they're going to be in for.
1: Okay. And so those are usually more for you know, you're gonna buy something and fix it up like a larger property, fix it up and then refinance it or sell it like a larger property?
4: Yeah, what could be we don't do sales for for the private equity. We want them to be a, it's more of a cash flow type of thing. So we might go buy like a ten unit apartment building. We just did a ten unit apartment building with some private equity. We we bought it, did some work to it. But the beauty of it is um, we just got a mortgage going up front. We didn't have to refinance it and now we just came in, we had enough private equity to purchase the property to make the repairs we needed to make and to go ahead and cash flow. And we just send our investors a quarterly dividend check and they just own a percentage of the building. And so if the building made a certain amount of money in a quarter, they get a percentage of that and we just mail them a check.
5: Well, I so, think that's the big difference between yeah. private lending and private equity. Yeah. Equity, you're actually, you have partners. And in the private lending side, right, you're in essence... You're the, the bank, folks right? are just, yeah, yeah, exactly. are just a bank, right.
0: Yeah. So how do you structure... Uh, yeah, and I know this is going to go a little bit above... Our heads, possibly the listeners' heads, and I don't necessarily want to get into too much detail. But and let me let me take that back. We're not going over everybody's heads, but yeah, you know, th- this can get kind of complicated. So, uh, how are you guys generally structuring your private? What is it? Your private equity deals?
4: Sure, we use what's called a limited liability partnership. It's very similar to an LLC. It, it looks almost like an LLC, except for it's called an LLP, and the difference is. If there's, there's these uh, limited partners involved, and there's a general partner, which is us. Yeah. The limited partners just have to their, – their obligation is to put their cash in. And the reason the word limited is in there is they are limited to the amount that they invest. So they can't lose any more than that, than, than their investment. The, nobody can – if the property ends up not making any money and the bank has to go and repo it, they're not going to come after that person's house. You know they're yeah. not going to come after any of that that personal assets. You know uh, they may come after my personal assets because I had to personally guarantee the loan and that kind of thing. But we are on the hook for the management of the property not, and and the um the liability of the property, not the LPs.
0: So they so. put up. They put up X amount of dollars each. Are you guys right. putting up cash
4: as well on these deals? We typically don't because we add different value to the partnership in that we've got you know a track record. I have a management team of eleven people that manage the property that work directly for my company that are you know employees of my company that I can control and you know control the the return on investment of the property. We're producing the leads. Uh, we're also you know it would need to be personally guaranteeing any loans or mortgages that need to go on the property as well. So that's the value we're putting in, and so the structure is we. We will typically take anywhere between 20 to 50% of the project. Our LPs get, you know, the other half of that. And I break the percentages down really based on the return I want to see my LPs get. And so the, the more ownership they get, the better return that they get. And so I kind of look at the numbers to say, okay, well, how can I make a good return for these guys? And, you know, what percentage would they be comfortable with to make, you know, to make the money they want to make on this? And the rest is for me.
0: And what do you, so what does that end up being typically for you? I mean, what percentage do you usually end up getting out of a deal?
4: For, for me?
0: Yeah, so you guys, Well, not, not yeah. you. I mean, I'm not – I don't mean you. I mean you and Liz coming. and Liz because I'm sure Liz is getting uh, 50% of that deal, right? <laughs> she, yeah. I just want to make 50, sure. 51. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. better be but getting we're, 51.
4: We're a, well, a woman-owned business, so it's 51%. But, uh, oh, that's uh, what we yeah.
1: are too, my wife and I. She's 51, <laughs> yep.
4: That's right. Yeah, that's right. You, you never know, right? Yep. Um, so, uh, we, uh, we as the company, as in the partnership, yeah. uh, the general partners, let's say, uh, typically take. It does, let's say we end up landing around between twenty and forty percent. You mm-hmm. know, ownership of the project.
0: Yeah, for, so. for putting nothing down, it sounds pretty good. It's yep. not bad.
1: And I I think what's key there is a lot of people think, uh, you know, I want to go invest in a deal with no money down. Like, you know, that's the popular phrase and I'm going to do it. Uh, I I don't know. The the interesting thing is you may not be bringing money, but you are bringing something. And I think you, you said that great because, you know, you are, you're bringing expertise. You're bringing the, the guarantee you're bringing the deal. Probably you're bringing all this stuff together. Uh, So the cash is, is the smallest piece of that, you know, so you're, it really is.
4: The cash just makes the deal happen, but you still have to have a deal. You have to have management structure. You have to have a lot of things in place to make these things profitable. I mean, the cash is just the, the vehicle to, to yeah. get it to, to get it to where you want it to go. So, well,
0: listen, well, uh, go ahead. Well, r- really quick, I, like I'm sitting here. I'm running a full time business, right? I'm I'm working eighty hours, a hundred hours a week on some weeks. I don't have time to go out and do portfolio, you know, to shop for property. I don't have time to do any of that stuff. That's that's where these types of deals come in. I'm not alone yes. in this. There's there's millions of people just like me who are saying, you know, okay, I'm making 8% in the market maybe if I'm lucky, I'm making, yeah. you know, a mm-hmm. quarter of a percent in a, in a in a bank account. Yeah. Where do I park my money? Let me find guys like you who know what yeah. you're doing, who've got the track record, who have experience. And, and can take care of my money and help me out. Now, that said, for the newbies that are listening, you're not going to go and find a 50-unit apartment building and going to be able to ra- raise this kind of money unless you're know unless you the best salesman on the planet. You really <laughs> need to establish some kind of track record and demonstrate Absolutely. that you have the capacity and the understanding in real estate to be able to get people to entrust you with their cash. And so I just want to make sure that we put that out there because we do see all these people who come on they're like, I know nothing about real estate, but <laughs> I have <laughs> no cash. I got right, nothing, yeah, I right. know nothing and I want to find a money partner. Who's going to money partner with you? <laughs> right, right. I mean like let's like let's be real here. I know the gurus are teaching that you can do this. It's total <laughs> BS. It's not going to happen. So, you know, that only happens over time. It really really does and and so that happens with time with experience. So, I want to make sure that that I'm putting it out there to the folks who are listening uh, that that's the case.
4: So I was just saying, Josh, that uh, you're absolutely right. We were in business for five years before we even thought about asking for uh, private money or anything like that from anybody because we wanted to show that we had a track record. We wanted to learn what we needed to learn because the last thing, I need to be able to sleep at night. I need to know that my investor's money's is in or in safe places and that they're going to see good returns because I can't, I wouldn't be able to live with myself knowing that I, you know, went and, and squandered somebody's cash. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that, so that's something that I can know that we can do because we were in business for as long as we were. So what I would say to your listeners, if you have a newbie that's looking to get into this, find someone to apprentice with that is doing yeah. this and that, you know, work underneath them, learn the ropes. If you don't have your own cash, um, learn the ropes from somebody who's raising private money, private equity, and give them some of your time. Cause that's another thing. that's a value aside from cash. Give them some of your, some of your time to help them, you know, build their brand and then you can learn how to do it. And then you've got a track record.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of times, uh, reputation is kind of contagious, which if you don't have it yourself, if you, if you don't have the experience, you can, uh, graft on, maybe the word is like to somebody else's experience by doing exactly what you're saying. You know, yeah. so when they look at me, they don't see me. They see me and the guy that I'm, you know, tight with that I've been working with deals, you know, for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a I think it's awesome.
0: And I I I'm gonna harp on that again. You yeah, know, I think that's really that's that's just a phenomenal point. And the reason it's so good is this I have people all the time who want to partner with me, all the time in my business mm-hmm. and, and they're like, Josh, I want to partner I rarely will partner with with folks because I realize that the second that I'm in bed with somebody, Mm -hmm. I'm now in bed with somebody. And Mm -hmm. when somebody, if somebody's, you know, if that guy turns out, that person, that company turns out to be less than what I would want them to be, some Mm -hmm. standard that's less than what I think is the standard Mm -hmm. that should be set, that's your reputation that's taking a hit. So if you partner with a money guy who's a scumbag, you know, by the way, you're a scumbag now. Welcome so are you. To the world. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, be be careful, folks. I mean, you you are who you do business with. You really are. And, you know, I, I can't press upon that enough from people to people. So just be aware because you don't want to get in bed with somebody shady. You
4: got to do a lot of research. You got to, yeah. you got to you got to Google people. You got to ask for references. Yeah. You got to ask for people they do business with. And, you know, we partner slowly as well because we partnered quickly in the past and it didn't pan out, you know. Yeah.
0: Can you talk about that process on our last show, uh, show eighty-seven? We got into that. And yep, Nathan Brooks. He ended up in uh, a really bad partnership that cost him yeah. pretty dearly. And, and so, I'd like to, I guess, talk about how how do you vet folks? I mean, you you said you know you do the Google searches and you do all this stuff, but you know, and and you kind of get into bed slowly. But maybe you can walk us through that process, I, I, especially for for newer investors. How mm-hmm. how would you recommend they Yeah, if somebody says, hey, I got money and you're like, oh, cool. Well, I'm desperate for money. Great. (laughs) You don't just jump into bed with them, right? I mean, what's the process that I should follow to start working with this person? What would you do? Uh,
5: You know, trust is obviously critical. Actually, the first money partner that we developed was Mm -hmm. uh, somebody that I went to college with. And I met him for coffee. We were, you know, just kind of reconnecting, saying hello to each other and seeing how each other's doing. And he said, oh, what are you guys up to? And I think that's also for newbies, you know, just share what you're up to. That's always a great way to, you know, to, you know, who knows, get your next money partner. But I was sharing with him and he said, I want to also invest. Um, I'd love to talk to you both. So he came out to, you know, to Trenton and we both, uh, you know, met with him. But it was a slow, it was a slow partnership. So number one, take it slow. Uh, Number two, really get a sense of who this person is, whether it's references or just going to networking meetings with them. I mean, I would just... I always, I, I'm from the employment world, so I always said hire slowly, fire quickly, and that's the same thing with money partners. You know, move slowly, and then, and then you can grow faster, but don't, don't do it too fast. Especially if someone wants to give you money quickly, that's probably not a, a good money <laughs> partner anyway.
2: Yep.
5: Uh, so, so number one, obviously, like I said, you know, you want to have that trust level. Number two, move slowly. Uh, number three, I would say start out on a small deal together. You know, Matt and and our par- money partner didn't buy an apartment building initially or anything. We bought a single family home. Yeah. It was a very small amount of money. Even new money partners that we're developing now uh, mm. always want to give us a small amount and say this works well, we'll grow and you know yep. grow together. And I think that's also a good sign of a money partner if they want to give you a lot of money initially, they don't know you uh, and they want to move fast. That smells funny. Yeah, some, yeah. Sm- something smells funny. So, yeah. so you do you guys run
0: background a, checks by the way?
5: Just mm.
4: On uh, on money, but well, people that are looking to invest with us, I wouldn't say that. But for people that we've done business with, you know, it's <laughs> sometimes that I wish I would have done that. But um, you know, we, we haven't done that in the past. But if there were a new partner that wasn't just putting cash in, I definitely would look into that. But like criminal
0: um, and all that stuff, huh?
4: Yeah, yeah. We have access to that kind of thing now. I mean, it's interesting to know, right? I mean, oh, yeah. uh, to to what their uh, to what their background is. Uh, to add on to what Liz said, I uh, I would just say that just simply like good people typically know good people, and yeah. so. Our, you know, one guy that was our first investor that Liz went to uh, college with, you know, knew other good people, and so he had known these people for a long time and was able to uh, give good references for them as well. So um, I tend to try and keep it within my network for the most part, you know, um, and uh, and if it's not in my network, then I take a long time to you know sniff them and, and vet them out and that kind of thing. So.
0: Makes yeah, sense. That's cool. Makes that's sense.
1: cool. Well, can we transition a little bit? I, I know we're hitting on the forty-five minute mark here, pretty much, and uh, there's a lot more I want to talk about. But uh, employees and uh, running a business, a company, right? You guys have multiple employees. I've heard. Uh, how many do you have right now? Eleven. Know. Okay. So, um, I guess again, because I'm selfish, you know, I'm at this point in my business where <laughs> I have to, right? I have to like scale up or scale down. And I've been saying this for you know months now, and you know. I guess, how do you know
0: it's the right time to start hiring employees and who do you hire? And for, we're, we're talking employees versus using other, like a company, like a me, hiring your own property manager in-house versus hiring an out, outside right. management company or hiring your own bookkeeper in-house versus, you know, shopping yeah. out to an outside. I think, is that more specifically what you're asking yeah. for, Brandon?
1: Sure. Either way. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's all part of it because I have to do something no matter what. So, or just get rid of all my
4: properties.
0: <laughs> right. And then move to Denver. Which and then move to Denver and hang out at the co-working <laughs> right. space with Josh. I've heard
4: that before. Right? <laughs> um, so I, I believe it was on one of your uh, podcasts or maybe I heard it somewhere else, but I think that the magic number is around 30 units. Um, is is where you can swing an in house uh an in house uh you know employee or an in house operator to help you run the business in that so I think that uh, I think that that 's where it really shifted for us is once we got above thirty then we could swing to start doing things in house before that. There really just wasn't enough revenue coming in to support another paycheck, whether it's a W two paycheck or even a 1099, and whatever it is. We would just outsource everything that came in under 30 units. To just you got to meet like handyman and that kind of stuff that can be your go tos for things, and they hire the bookkeeper for as many hours as you need them and everything like that. Like that. Once we got above 30, we started bringing in house employees and and that, and that's when it started making sense. As we added more units, it justifies you know hiring more people. Once we uh, purchase more. So.
1: so why do you why do you think it's better at least in your life Why did you decide to go with uh, hiring your own in-house staff versus just a, you know, some third party property manager? Like, why'd you go that route?
4: Well, we have a certain vision for our company. We have a, you know, we tr- we're trying to create a culture among our employees and we're hoping that that rubs off on our tenants to a point and our investors as well. So, we wanted to create more than just this thing that just, you know, made cash flow. We were we're trying to create a business with a culture. We have a mantra for our company which is transforming lives through real estate. And we really believe that. And we and we have quarterly meetings with our employees and that. But the, the bottom line of your question is, I can control it and manage it. Um, if they're my people and I can, you know, I, they're employees. I can kind of tell them what to do and give them the parameters to operate within and everything like that. And it's very easy. Uh, it's easy, much easier to control a culture than it is for, you know, all independent contractors that work for somebody else the next day.
1: Do you have, do you ever your own contractors in house or do you outsource that like your maintenance uh, and repairs and stuff?
4: We have uh, we have our own we have mostly our own people in house that try and do as much maintenance and repairs as we can, um, but we also outsource things like you know major plumbing, electrical, licensed work, and that kind of stuff. We're yeah. not licensed yet. We're working on getting our uh, our contractors license actually, so we can pull our okay. own permits and that kind of jazz. But we sub out the big stuff and we do the the small stuff in house.
0: Cool. All right. So, so so you've got eleven employees. I want to I want to find out who was the first hire and who are the eleven. Okay. Not, we I don't need uh, their names, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, if we, if we, if we, we can bring them all
4: in. And on the oh, they, yeah. and here's Maria. We'll, we'll get them all in the room.
0: We'll talk yeah. to them. the yeah, 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 yeah.
4: Yeah, you can interview all of them. So <laughs> our first hire was our, our office manager. We started out as our bookkeeper. And uh, she uh, was has been fantastic. And she really started doing the books and then grew uh, more into really running the property management division of the company. We also have, I, I call her my tenant relations manager. So when tenants call in with a maintenance emergency, or when we have to collect rents, or we just when communications need to happen to tenants, it comes through the tenant relations manager. Lease um, signings, yeah, lease signings. Yeah. So there you go. Renewals. She creates leases. She also runs out and shows properties and that. So she's really the point of contact between tenants and the business. So she's the go-to for anything they need. That's who she, that's who they call. Then you've got you know the office manager who she reports to. You've got uh, my head of construction. We have a because we do uh, we do um, fix and flips. So I have a guy that runs all of our fix and flips when an apartment turns around. It goes into the construction department, and those folks go and uh, turn it around. Now in the construction department, there's. A handful of employees that do everything from demolition to painting to sheetrock to uh, minor plumbing and that kind of stuff. They do a lot of their time is spent either on a fix and flip or turning an apartment. And it's we're able to maintain that many people because we have a volume of either you know unfortunately vacancies or fix and flips that we're in the middle of. How or many by, guys
0: is that, uh, or guys and gals? How many people is that in construction?
4: We have gals too in construction, by the way. Um, yeah, so um, that is. Uh, let's see. I got to do the numbers. I believe that's seven.
0: Okay. Oh, so two the bulk of straight. your team is is construction.
4: Yeah, it is because that's you know for fix and flips. We found that we can manage the process if we do as much of it in house as we can. Got it. Yep.
0: I think so. that's. I think that's wise.
1: I think. Uh, it, yeah, how you're trying left? to find good con- contractors is really tough.
0: So we have bookkeeper. We have tenant relations. Then we have the seven. So that's at nine. Your well, who are the other two?
4: I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, me and um, me and my business, my uh, my construction manager Adam, who also has a percent ownership of the uh, of the of the company as well. Gotcha, gotcha. So okay, I, I'm counting, my, so I'm counting myself in that eleven as well because I I yeah. pay myself. Oh a, sure, a W two salary on top of passive income from the investments. I do take a W two income too. Sure, so.
0: sure. No, that's great. And you know, it seems like the, I guess your tenant relations manager really is your property manager. Um, slash, 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 then you have the whole construction team, you got the office manager, and then you're doing the, the deal finding, you're doing the fundraising and pretty much handling the money side of things.
4: And, and managing the different departments.
5: And you call me like a half of an employee, I guess. (laughs) Oh, you're, you're an employee, you're an employee and a half. half. I'm not actually getting W2. She's
4: really just an owner. Well, I'm not uh, getting W2, but
5: like one of my major projects is helping the property management team kind of firm up our processes, you know, and really get a really strong process. We have pieces of the puzzle, obviously, but um, we're at the point where I just need to kind of button that up more. So, you know, in essence, trying to take some things off their plate because we have a lean team in, in-house, so to speak. So I that's one of my one of my jobs.
1: Okay, cool. Hey, how do you find good employees? That's a good question. I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> well,
5: I'll take I mean, that I love a... my employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Uh, there's, there's so many ways to find good people. I think one of the key piece is actually is to identify and get really clear on your culture and who it is that you're actually looking for the the type of person and then specifically get then clear on the job itself so in essence you know writing a a job description one of the big things that Matt and I and our other partner Adam had done earlier in the year was literally write job descriptions for every single position so if we hire a service technician we're calling a maintenance person we're hiring this tenant relations manager uh, what have you you have a really clear job description and then once you have a clear job description, in that job description, get really clear on what skills this person needs. And me, beyond skills, because this is my expertise and the other work that I was involved in, the consulting work, is what type of behaviors does this person need to have? You don't want a whole team of extroverts or introverts. You don't want a whole team of dominant people because, you know what, they're all going to want control. So how do you really create a diverse team, not just of skills and experience, but quite honestly, uh, behavior? And, you know, you don't need people uh, all trying to be followers when no one's leading the team, yeah. you know, and we've talked about that multiple times oh, about, yeah. you know, running construction sites and how, you know, no one knew who was on first base type of thing. No one knew who was in charge. Yeah. It d- different circumstances in our career. So getting clear on the job and then getting clear on the job ad and really writing a, a you know, really helpful ad in where we're going through this right now. We're doing some hires. And I took what Matt and Adam came up with and kind of doctored it up to say not just the you know every there's so many jobs available you got to make yours different and and mm. really make it specific around your culture and the kind of team that you're hiring and that these people are going to be passionate about what they do they're not just going to get a job we don't want people just you know taking they a job a part of something yeah. they want to yeah. be part of something bigger and getting clear on that vision of transforming lives i mean it's a big it's a big one
0: yeah interesting yeah. interesting yeah it's it's funny I, I i'd say the last for the last year i've probably spent I, I don't think there's been any point in which we haven't been hiring. Right? Yeah. We're yeah. we're we're constantly hiring right now. And Brandon keeps saying to me, you know, that this is the rest of our lives running this sure. company is you're just gonna constantly be hiring. And it's fascinating. It really is a fascinating, challenging process. And and I really appreciate what you guys talked about on collaborating on on the descriptions and the tasks. And that's something that we've done as well with our description. But what we haven't done enough of is the last thing that you said, which is diversifying yourself, making yourself stand out more. How do you do it? You know, above and beyond. Like for us, hopefully we do it by saying, you're, work- you're working, you're part of this amazing company that's changing people's lives. Here's how we do mm-hmm. it. And here's what our culture is in that. But I think there's even more. And, and I think being able to know what your culture is and what your company does and how you stand out mm-hmm. is really the key. And I, I you know, I think a lot of folks who are in that process are struggle with that. You know, what do we stand for? What makes us different? What you know, I got a boutique, I got a retail shop, but you know, why are we any different than the other retail shops? Um, Or you know, obviously for this case in building an investment company, what makes my investment company better than the next one? So something for folks to think about and and write down if you haven't written your goals, your vision, all that stuff. I mean, it's really important.
4: It's got to be more than making money. Yeah. You know that can't be the only reason why you want to get into this business or, or what you want to create out of the out of the business.
5: I'd also just add too, on the hiring part. Is a lot of people employers will say, well, you know, I'm hiring and hiring and people aren't staying in the positions. I would say that partially it could be a hiring problem. It also could be a managing problem. Yeah, and actually, a, a motivating problem. So. You also often hear people don't leave companies, they leave people. Yeah, and yeah. and not that everyone that leaves is about the person, but how you managing people, how are you motivating people? Something that Matt instituted with his team and something that was a suggestion I had was to meet on a monthly basis with your team. Take them yeah. out to lunch one on one. What's coming up for you? How are things going? And uh, communication is everything. So yeah, you can hire right. But then managing that and really keeping uh, the team motivated and and aligned is actually harder. It's easier to hire the right person, in my opinion. It's harder to actually manage and maintain because that's really where – That's the – I think the biggest challenge is for any small employer or any big employer.
1: Yeah. I know I'm, I'm terrible at managing employees. And that's, that, that really is the thing that's prevented me from hiring more people and building up a team is because I just know that my weakness in life is telling people what to do. I'm really bad <laughs> at it. Like, and so until I figure that part out, maybe that's the only way to figure that out is by doing it. But yeah, I mean, it took me like a year to get rid of my resident manager who was like a sexist pig that was like, <laughs> I mean, he was, it te- was terrible. And it like, took me a year to get rid of him because I'm just terrible at managing. So I don't know. That's sure. what, that's what's prevented me. I, I'm, you know, people have different personalities and I'm definitely a uh, peace peacemaker and I have trouble Yeah. You're too uh, I'm nice. I'm a pushover. Man. Okay. Yeah, I said you're it. too <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Well, um I have I have one more question before we go, uh before we kind of start to wrap things up, and that is what does your future look like? I mean, where are you guys headed? Where do you see your investment business at going forward?
4: Sure. Um, so uh we want to continue. We've we've been doing really well raising the private equity, and we want to continue to do that. And we want to buy you know larger and larger properties. You know, we we our biggest one so far has been an 18 unit, but we'd like to do, um, you know, we've looked at a 22 unit. We're looking at even bigger stuff. You know, 30, 40, 50 units and that kind of thing on the investment side because we've gotten pretty good at, at raising money. And and uh, we have a really good presentation. And it makes sense for investors to to come in with us in that. So that's definitely one direction we want to go. For the fix and flips, you know, we didn't even get so much to this, but it's become very frustrating with fix and flips in un- un- unexpected costs and uh, how a fix and flip can really go upside down really fast. We did one property, we found out that one entire side of the house had been eaten by alive by termites. Oh, I mean, it was, just, it was all gone. It so cost us an extra eight grand we didn't budget for to reframe this whole side of the house. So what we're getting into is modular homes. Um, we want to start doing, instead of fix and flips, buying a piece of land and building a modular home on the piece of land and putting it up for sale that way, because it's a good way to, you know, create a home for sale. Um, but, most things are predictable in a, in a modular uh, versus a fix and a fix and flip so interesting, interesting.
5: Yeah. and I'd say the third the third arm of our business which I'm kind of t- heading up and, and leading is creating some educational opportunities you know we have a lot of folks that come to us like hey you know how did you do this how did you do that so we're kind of excited about you know my backgrounds training and development so yeah. kind of creating some ways to be of help to people and educate so that's the other kind of new new area of our business yeah. Makes what, sense. what do
0: you um, do you guys know? Just really really quickly. Have you ever heard of like this new thing now where they're printing houses? Have have you seen this <laughs> stuff? I just saw that online is, the other day,
4: right? An article. Is about it that. with the 3D printer stuff? Yeah. So now yeah. they
0: have now they have like I I I think I saw it in China. They they've built these demo houses that are printed. They're literally printed mm. with like some oh kind my. of concrete mm. am, amalgam of something or out some and literally you can literally uh, blueprint the sucker and they these monster machines, the huge, huge yeah. things, right? And they literally print a house. It's amazing.
4: What a what a crazy world we live in. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's I wild. Mean, that, that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's fascinating. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to the uh, the next part, which is uh, the. It's
4: time for the fire round.
1: All right, the fire round, these questions all come straight from the BiggerPockets forums, which you can go and engage on right now by going to BiggerPockets.com slash forums, and you should. So first question uh, is, am I crazy, don't answer that yet, to start flipping a property when winter is about to begin?
5: Hmm. Hmm.
4: Yeah. You know, that's, it's interesting and it depends on how long construction is going to take. I think that if you, if you create a product of really good value, we've had, I had one house that sold that went under contract between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And everybody says, Oh no, nobody wants to move. And nobody wants to look at houses in that time of year and everything like that. So I don't think that you're crazy. I just think that you need to plan for it and you need to, um, you know, create value in the property because people need to move all the time. There's always somebody looking for a house. You just got to have something that stands out and that is going to pop for the perhaps fewer population that's going to be looking for houses around that time. So you're not crazy.
0: Yeah. Nice. yeah. nice. Thank nice. you. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I. I. You know. I'll wait for a doctor to verify. But. <laughs> <Thanks>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it turns w- out. Yeah. What. Uh, what would you do if you were just starting out again with twenty five thousand? Yeah. Twenty five thousand bucks. How. W- how would you build a business? I'll take that. Sure. I, th- I
5: think before you hear a lot of folks, I've been trying to get more into the forums, answering questions and what have you, and just learning. It's a great place to learn and develop uh, your knowledge and skills. But you know, a lot of things I've seen out there, a lot of newbies will say, "What deals should I get into?" I have exactly what you just said, Josh. I have this amount of money. What deals, what areas should I invest in? Uh, you know, Before you get, go there, I think you know, getting really clear on your why. You know, why are you investing in real estate? I think I wrote this in one of the blogs that we write. Uh, and I keep going back to it because you can look for deals and what have you and find the best strategy on real estate investing, but if you're going to have challenges. You, you know, we, we put a roof on a house that ended up having to get teared down you know, when we yeah. first started, I mean, we made a lot of mistakes over the years,, sure. and you have to have come back to some sort of what are we doing this for, and we both align so becoming really clear and digging deep for newbies, I think is something that i don't see a lot of people doing, and they they get challenges and then they move on and I think real estate's such a wonderful way to invest that it's a shame that people move on and don't actually stick with it so uh, and then developing a plan. And I'd also say, with that $25,000 and developing a plan and then getting into whether it's a single family home or a multifamily or whatever your strategy is, become really good at it. I think one of the biggest challenges we had was that we got involved in a commercial property, we got involved with a residential property. Matt didn't share this earlier, but we also bought a development, uh, you know, property on a development, you know, piece of land. So we were all over the place. And that's probably one of our biggest challenges mm-hmm. when we started. So become good at something and do it over and over and over again until you have mastered it and then move on to something else. I wouldn't, yeah. so many people get involved with so many things initially, and I, I think that's one thing we would have done differently, was really mastered the multifamily and just done it over and over and over again. It's not sexy, but it's predictable, and it, it's where your success comes from. So that's just another side, side note. <laughs> that's
1: great. That's great. All right, third question. Do you have any suggestions for how to turn down a tenant with bad rental history? What do you normally tell them?
4: We just um, you gotta have protocol. I mean, there's uh, there's procedures on that. You gotta just write them a letter. I mean, you gotta have a you gotta have a form letter on file that says, "Here's why we didn't accept you," and you check off a few boxes. You know, it, it depends on if they have an eviction or if just you know whatever it may be. Um, but you should, uh, you know, first of all, I think that by law, you have to have what your uh, standards are for rental and, and, you know, in the, in the lovely state of New Jersey, you do in that. So, uh, we have a rental standards here uh, and in PA for our, our rentals in Pennsylvania as well. And so if we reject someone, it's simply because they didn't meet our rental standard. And so we have a form letter that, that has those things lined out and we just check off the boxes that it didn't match. And we just send them the letter.
5: Yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah. And, and that's, you know what, I think that's a great For folks who are living anywhere that may not have rental standards, you know, really standardizing it because it protects you from you know having people come after you for you know discrimination or whatever else. Here's our here's our twenty different standards. Here's the things you have to live up to. You fail because you you're missing on one, seven, and twelve. Great, done, done, and done. Yeah. Nice, nice, cool. Investing in low-income areas—is this a good way to make money, or something uh, that uh, newer investors should avoid? Hmm,
4: it depends on uh, management. If you're, you know, if you don't have a thick enough skin to go and, you know, sometimes there's there's uh, there's people you have to deal with in, in lower-income areas that that you may not want to. Uh, if you, if you're not prepared to go into those areas yourself. And, um, you know, do a showing or whatever it is. If you're just getting started, you know, odds are you may have to do a little bit of the doing in the beginning unless you've got a property manager that can do all that for you. If you've got a property manager that can handle everything soup to nuts and you're willing to pay them to do it, then, um, then you know, of course, we'll move forward with it. But if, uh, if you don't, you should be prepared to do it yourself. But I, I don't... Um, I don't have a problem with that per se for our business. You know, we do that. You know, we invest in, in lower income areas, but there's plenty of good people that want to live in areas like that. They just happen to, you know, make lower income.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
5: But we've never, never invested in an area where we're not comfortable going.
4: Yes. Gotcha. Maybe not
5: comfortable going at midnight. I mean that, you know, yeah. but. That's a little different. Yeah. And I'm so not that, comfortable going standout. anywhere. I've, I've got to
4: be able to go there. I mean, a lot of our investments are in Trenton and there's parts of Trenton that are that are dicey, but we don't do work in that area because not only do I want to go, do I not want to go there? I don't send my people. I don't want to send my people there either. So yep.
0: isn't um, isn't that where yeah. Chris Christie lives? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah that's I, dice, I doubt that's he, a dicey I doubt part lives of town. Here. I think he
4: does business here. I doubt he
3: <laughs> lives here. But uh, yeah, it is.
0: <laughs>
4: Funny. All right. Last
1: question from the fire round. What is your biggest horror story when it comes to rehabbing a property?
4: Oh, man, that's uh-huh. softball. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. where,
5: where do you start? Do yeah, you start random? Yeah.
4: I, I think I put that on the forum so that you would ask me that question. But, uh, so I'll, I'll be as concise as I can. Um, we uh, we bought this property. It's actually in the town we lived in. And I kept driving past it and saying, like, man, somebody's going to do something about that house. Because it was this old dilapidated property. And, it was, and I just said, somebody's going to do something. I said, you know what? I'm going to do something about that house. I'm going to look into it. And I um, had a title company that was looking for some business from me. And so I gave them the address. They looked into it. And through a bunch of jumping around, I found out that the guy that owned it um, didn't know he owned it because he was the grandson of the owner of record. The guy lived all the way up in Poughkeepsie, New York. But the the long story short, the owner of record of the property had actually died in 1964 and had uh, allowed a cousin of his to live in this house until like 1985. And then a sister of his moved in. So a lot of rigmarole on uh, on taking ownership of the property, first and foremost. Then once we closed, we got sued by a tax lien holder. And we had to go to court immediately after closing and had to pay something like another 10000 Dollars after purchasing this property, right to this tax lien holder who just had a bunch of these attorneys on staff that just it cost them nothing to take me to court, but it cost me like you know two grand a day to go to court against these guys. So I just paid them to make them go away. Then we got into the property and started to fix it up, and uh, we put as Liz alluded to earlier, we put a new roof on it and everything like that, and did all the gut work. And we realized wait a minute, this property is a bunch of water damage. And it's now <laughs> We found out that like the, the back of the property was sitting on dirt. There was no foundation in this, in the, a lot of this house. Nice. Um, and, oh, yeah, you know it's what, it's it's what awesome. they did back then, I awesome, guess, right? Yeah. It's awesome. So we ended up having to tear this property down to the ground and build a new house on this site. We had already gone about halfway through the rehab, oh. <laughs> and we ended up having to demo <laughs> this pretty new roof that we had to put on the property. Oh, we man. had to take that off and all this framing that we had done and everything like that take it all down. And this and, is
5: right when Mac quit his job. I said, "What are you doing?" That was right
4: after <laughs> I quit my, uh, my day job to do this full-time. So, oh, yeah, wow. so it was fantastic. We ended up building a brand new single-family home, this beautiful house yeah. on this uh, on this site that uh, we sold. We lost money on the deal on that sale, but because what we learned, you know, which is what I would tell uh, the folks out there is that, you know, we learned a bunch on that deal that I still apply today. So now I know how to stick frame a house because I built I did it. And um, I know what not to do on a fix and flip because I pretty much did all the things you're not supposed to do on my very first fix and flip. So
0: wow, get it out of oh, the yeah. way. Yep. Yeah, you know, get it, do it
4: all the mistakes of the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Nice. Well, you stuck it out, and now you guys are doing great. So there, yeah. there you have it. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, that was fire round. Lots of good questions. Great stuff. Why don't we move on to the famous four?
1: All right, the famous four. These questions uh, we ask every single guest. So you guys know what's coming, I'm sure. First question is, and we'll ask each of you separately if you want to answer separately, if you have different answers. But uh, first one is, what is your favorite real estate book?
5: Sure, I'll take that first. I would say the kind of the follow-up from Rich Dad Poor Dad, which was called Cash Flow Quadrant. And it was a wonderful book to get clear on not just cash flow, but what kind of person and what kind of business do you want to create? It basically puts you know employees and self-employed and becoming an investor. And it really gives you the ins and outs. And when we created our business, we kept thinking, are we an E? And we use those words to this day. Um, And Mm -hmm. it goes into some specifics about real estate. But I I would say just from thinking about real estate, it was by far one of the best books.
1: Nice. Great.
4: Yeah. I would throw out a a book uh, by Dolph DeRoos called uh, Real Estate Riches. And uh, he was one of, you know, Rich Dad advisors, uh, you know, many, many, many years ago. But um, he told some great stories in that book and it really opened up me to the possibility of real estate investing as well.
5: Right
0: on, right on. What about business books, Uh, Liz?
5: Yeah, I would say uh, E-Myth by Michael Gerber is a great, great way to think about your business so you don't become one of those, uh, they say, technicians who becomes the business. And we all want to get into real estate because we're, know, oh, it's hands off, and we don't have to do anything. Well, we all know that you have to do a lot of things. Yeah, but yeah. But bottom line is that you start to build something uh, processes, systems, et cetera. and that's exactly how we've thought about our business. You know, how do we, how do we build this so it doesn't need us? You know, yeah. and we're not there yet. We're you know far from there, but we're getting yeah. closer and yeah. we're moving towards using it. Which that is concept key. though to build it. So, so. A great book to to read early on.
0: Nice. Yes. What about you, Matt?
4: I would have to go for the Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Um, T Harves. Yeah, T harp We did the Millionaire Mind intensive weekend as well, but that's just one of those. Uh, it's just one of those things about shifting your consciousness around the way that you view money. And for Liz and I, just reading that book and just really examining what he calls your money blueprint and everything like that, and just just really taking a look at you, you know how money is is in my consciousness. Um, it, it was uh, it was great. So.
0: Right on. Cool. Right on. What, cool. what about uh, what about hobbies, guys? What do you guys do for fun?
5: Nothing. No, we no. Don't. Yeah. We're just we're <laughs> hang out yeah. my our uh, nine month old. He he he's my uh, he's our new hobby. Oh, but yeah. uh, nice. but I would say you know for me I um I love playing tennis. You know I love kind of training for races. I haven't done one in a while, but I, yeah. I, I you know, I've done some marathons and things like that and triathlons and things. Oh, good uh, for you uh, on that. Those have gone down a little bit since <laughs> having my little guy, but I want to train <laughs> for something in the spring. So cool. That's for cool. me.
1: What about um, you, Matt?
4: Ditto, ditto, for me. Yeah, okay. I did my first line this summer, and, cool. uh, and that, and just spending time with with my son and with my wife outside of work, and not talking about work for a little while <laughs> is, is a good enough hobby for now. So, awesome, yeah. Cool. yeah,
1: that's great. That's great. All right, final question from me for the day: uh, What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started?
5: Yeah, I was thinking about this. There's so many ways to answer that, and at bottom line, it bottom line, it's perspective. Because there's so many times I can look over the last 10 years that were so many reasons for us just to kind of say, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And just to kind of get back into the game and make it better. And Matt doesn't go, he doesn't go into, we don't go into properties now and we have to, we don't take roofs off and then have to, we don't make that mistake anymore. <laughs> so you really have to have perspective and, and a positive perspective and not pers- just positive, but like a realistic perspective as well. And, uh, and just keep making things better. That's critical. If you don't do that, I wouldn't get involved <laughs> yeah. Invest in investing in real estate because <laughs> we continue to make mistakes, but we keep, continue to keep our perspective positive and, um, you know, solution-oriented. Yeah.
0: Nice. Nice. No, that's great. That's yeah. great. Well, listen, guys, we really, really, really appreciate you guys coming on the show. Yeah. We thank you so much for the time and, you know, lots of, lots of good – Pretty high level stuff here on the show, so it was. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank um, you for
5: having us. It's been thank you, thank
0: you. Yeah, where where can folks find out more about you or find more about you? Do you have a website that uh, sure, you guys we have do. for your it's, business?
4: Our business's uh, website is derosagroup.com. dot uh, com, and um, we're, we uh, Liz and I also have uh, active profiles on Bigger Pockets as well.
0: Cool.
5: And we're also weekly weekly bloggers for the site, so we'd yes. uh, love to hear from people.
0: Yeah, leave comments, man. You guys, yeah. these these guys are putting out really good content. So definitely, definitely share your feedback with them Please. on on their posts. Well, thanks again, guys. We we really do appreciate it. Thank and uh, we'll you, see Brandon. you back on the site. All right, thank you. All right, guys, that was show eighty eight of the Bigger Pockets podcast with Matt and Liz Faircloth. Big thanks to those guys again. Really, really cool show with some higher level uh, knowledge shared and some really, really good advice. So uh, we we certainly appreciate it. I'm like totally motivated now to go get like a bookkeeper or something. Dude, uh, 88 shows, man. It's about time.
1: I know. It's really bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You'll do (laughs) it. You'll do it. Next show. You know, everybody's busting my chops about the book that I'm on page 175 of. That's like, that's a drop in the bucket compared to you not going and hiring out a bookkeeper (laughs) or finding somebody to do this. I'm going to go
1: call that bench company today and just see what they can do. So
0: do it. Do it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, anyway, guys. Thanks again for listening. Show 88. If you're not a member yet of Bigger Pockets, we'd certainly urge you to do so. You get to hang out with guys and gals like Matt and Liz who are spending time in the community helping other investors out, linking up with partnering and doing business with other folks. So the more active you are, the more folks like these will get to see you, get to know you and wanna wanna work with you. So I definitely encourage that. Otherwise, as I always say, check us out on all the various social networks. And if you have not yet done so, please take a minute or two and jump over to iTunes, find the Bigger Pockets podcast, and leave us a rating or review. Uh, those certainly come in handy and help us get more people listening, and help us, you know, get more people educated into real estate, doing better deals. So, uh, help us out if you can. That's all I got. How about you, Brandon? We done?
1: We're done. Let's get out Let's of close here. Close it down. I yeah. got a
0: bookkeeper to call. Awesome. <laughs> this is Josh Dorkin.
3: So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.